All right. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Real Live Talk. This show is really just all about having laid back, Christ centered conversations with leaders in the body of Christ. My name is Duke Lamastra, and my guest for today, I'm so pumped about this. My guest is Jessica Hurlbutt. Jessica is a pastor, writer, ultra runner. Um, she's an adoption advocate and a mother of five. She and her husband, Greg, are the lead pastors at New Testament Church in Massena, New York. And um, Jessica, I, I can I can really keep going on and on and talking about you, but I would much rather hear it from you. But uh, I really do appreciate this. I've really been looking forward to this interview since um, uh, maybe it was a month or so ago when we first talked about it and set it up. So really do appreciate you. Thank you for being here. Uh, yeah. How are you? How's your day going? Well, thanks for having me. First of all, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, I get to get away from my kids for an hour. Woo! <laughs> I really do love my kids. It's just, you know, it's summer vacation. So but you've got five of them. So I know. I know. So, yeah, my husband's holding down the fort. Um, but yeah, yeah, we're doing good. We're because we're in upstate New York. We're still in the midst of our summer vacation. Um, my two with autism actually just today is their last day of summer school. So they do six weeks okay. of summer school. Okay. And then they have about two weeks at the beginning of the summer and two weeks at the end that are just off. So yeah, so we're just kind of juggling that and, you know, leading a church through a pandemic, you know, I don't know, nothing yeah. big. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. And uh, well, shout out to Greg. Thank you. Thank you, Greg, for, um, <laughs> for holding down the fort today so Jessica could be here and do this and uh, you and I haven't had a chance to meet meet yet but <laughs> but maybe you'd like we will. Him. you'd uh, like him <laughs> hopefully yeah i'm sure i'm sure um but yeah uh, so well thank you for being here i would just love it if um you could just maybe tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and sure. i know like in this conversation um we've got several different avenues and things that we can explore i definitely want to talk to you about um, the work that you do in terms of um, advoc advocacy for adoption and for foster care. I want to talk to you about some of the experiences you've had with uh, your running and all of that and uh, your new podcast that's coming out. There's a lot of stuff that I want to talk about, but so um, just yeah. wherever you feel like going yeah. at the beginning well, here, I, tell us a little bit about you. Sure. La about, I think it was a month ago, I wrote a blog post and it was, uh, I'm 40 and I still don't know what I want to do with my life. So that's why you're confused when you're introducing me. You're like, ah, oh, you're doing all these things. <laughs> I love it so yeah. much. So, but um, yeah, so I guess kind of a little bit about me. Um, I am, as you said, a mom of five, um, been in ministry for 15 years now. Awesome. Spent 11 years as uh, in youth ministry, which I love. I wanted to be the 40-year-old still doing youth ministry. My husband, wow. not so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, kind of got sidelined when my so our, my son is 13, going on 30, we say, my oldest. Okay. Um, those, yeah, he had to grow up really too. big. He's the one that's going to be the future president. <laughs> yeah. But uh, ministry. He's only 10, yeah. but. Yeah, exactly. Oh, the, he could, you know, be the VP. Right, because yeah. probably yeah, around the same time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, ministry-wise, for me, um, I was full-time ministry, uh, and actually, I was hired as a youth pastor, and my husband worked another job and helped with the youth ministry. Mm. Um, so it was a huge shift for me when we had my son, and I started working part-time to stay home with him. But then a year later, I got pregnant again. I didn't mean to get pregnant again, okay. but yeah. 
one of those, it was like a checkup, like, wow, you've healed from your labor and delivery. Oh, and by the way, you're pregnant. I'm like, no. <laughs> but so when my daughter came along pretty soon, probably within six months, I would say she was just crying all the time and not like a colicky crying. Just we just could never figure out what was wrong. Okay. Um, by the time she was two, you know, she was receiving all these interventions and and the word autism was thrown away around, but honestly, I didn't really know what it was. I didn't know anyone that, that had a child that was autistic. Like I saw the rain man, that was my context. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I just had no, no context. I like definitely, even, definitely rem- <laughs> it's not funny, but it's funny, but this shows you how like much the world's changed, honestly, yeah. because I think a lot of awareness has happened. I, I didn't really have any context. Mm. Um, and so it was when she was three, she was diagnosed um, officially. And there's different levels of autism. There's one, two, and three. And three is the most severe. Um, one is more like kind of Asperger's, although I don't think they even use that term anymore. Okay. So, you know, it was a blow to our family. And I really kind of got to the point where I couldn't work at all. Because even if I worked one or two days a week, the we had friends or people, you know, we never sent to our kids to a daycare, but it was just like a friend of ours that did, you know, cared for children out of her home, but no one was able to, mm. she would just, you know, have all these meltdowns. Yeah. No one could console her. They didn't know what to do. And they worried about the safety of the other kids. It was, it was hard. So I left ministry completely. That was eight and a half years ago. Okay. Um, And kind of just use that time, you know, I, well, I spent six months being really just the biggest pity party ever. <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to ask you. I was, I was curious about that. What your mindset yeah. was like having to it was really not essentially good. step aside and, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, my husband was able to step in and he started working like at the church. So like we didn't lose the idea of being able to do youth ministry. But sure. I mean, even for me to go to the service sometimes was impossible. So mm. I kind of lost all of that. Um, yeah, it was very, for six months, I really just, and I mean, I think I needed to, but it was just this wallowing of self-pity. I'm going to be a caretaker the rest of my life. And God kind of, I think it was around six months, maybe more like eight months. I just kept hearing, I would, you know, I'd pray, I'd talk to God. I was mad at God. And I kept hearing him say to me, what's just this, this thought in my head was what's something you can do now that you were never able to do before. Mm-hmm. And it was like a twisted question in my mind, like, Oh, I don't know. I can't even leave my house. Yeah. God, <laughs> like stop asking me this, but it kept yeah. coming over and over and over again. And one day out of the blue, there was this thought back when I was all the way, when I was a kid, all the way as a teenager and a young adult, before I even got married, I always wanted to adopt. I always say I watched a Hallmark movie or something. <laughs> <And> it's, <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I, I must have been God looking back, but I have no idea where that came from. Because, I, again, I didn't know anybody that had fostered or adopted. Wow. That um, was just something that you always had. Yeah. I, it really, you know, it wasn't like something my parents taught me. It was just it was in there, you know, and I think that God mm. put that stuff in our DNA. Right. Yeah. And so. I was, I hadn't thought about it in years and years. Cause in our mind, I I did talk to my husband. It was like a 
prerequisite before we got married. But, you know, I was like, hey, would you ever adopt? You know, and he's like, uh oh, it's one of those questions, right? <laughs> Can't get this one wrong. This if you fail this test. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, but in our mind, we we're like, we'll have a few kids of our own and then look at possibly adopting. Well, then my daughter came into the picture and it was like, we can't even have any more kids of our own. That's kind of what it felt like. Just felt like everything's over. We just have how, to survive. Yeah. How old was your daughter when she was diagnosed? Three. Three. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, but that, this idea of adoption, it was kind of like God was bringing it back up and saying, mm. you know, you remember, you remember this dream you had? And I'm thinking, okay, but how is that possible now? Like, this doesn't sound like, you know, severely autistic yeah. child, let's adopt more. Like, yeah. but I really felt like the reason why it was what God wanted me to do now was because I had such a heart for ministry. I have a desire to be with my kids and raise them, but I also have a desire to be in ministry. And so yeah. I always kind of felt this tension and I realized God had really put me in the home for this season. I knew it was him, not that he caused my daughter to have autism. But it was like, I'm going to be home full time, indefinitely. Mm -hmm. And if I were to ever to foster or adopt, as far as bonding with a child that's not your own, I just kind of felt like that's, that's, I would want to be home yeah. all the time, you know? Um, so it kind of just percolated in me and, and I don't know how I convinced my husband. Oh, he's amazing. That's how I convinced him. But so I just kind of. It gave me a little bit of hope. Things weren't changing as far as my daughter's circumstances, but it felt like it kind of was like, you're not, you're not shelved, Jessica. I'm still going to use you. you I still have plans and purposes for you. And I think that's true. You know, I really, it's kind of been the horn I'm tooting lately with COVID. Like we all feel kind of shelved or as pastors and ministers and, and just people in general, like working from home or, yeah. or staying home full time with their kids because they can't work anymore or whatever it is or homeschooling or remote learning, all yeah. these things. It's like, we feel like we're shelved, but we have the God of the universe that lives in us. We're not limited, but wow. we have to listen to him. So, yeah. so this is a long version. Sorry. But yeah, so no, we, we took the classes um, to foster and adopt. And uh, soon after, I mean, I don't even know if we finished the last week of classes when they were calling us for placements. So we were a little like, ah, so um, yeah, we got called to get, um, we had a several, several short-term placements, like a couple weeks, but um, then we oh, really? uh, got a call from the hospital. Yeah. That there was a newborn baby. Um, and wow. so I, I didn't have like? a car seat. Did, it's did weird. You know, did you, <laughs> did you know going into it that they were going to be short-term for sure? Or was there, um, like, well, you, you kind of the kind of the way it works is you you can agree to what you want to do. Okay. Some people only want to adopt kids that are already freed. That means their parents have no rights. Right. Other people are willing to foster. And then through the process, a lot of times they are the ones that adopt the kid they yeah. fostered. But then there's other people that just want to foster like they, maybe they their kids are grown or they don't want to adopt, but they want to help. In the meantime, you know, why parents are having visits and things. But then there's something called respite. And that's just like, that's something we were open to. And that all that means is it's kind of like they, the, the children are placed in a home, a foster home. But say those foster parents are going on vacation. Okay. 
technically, especially if it's out of state, you usually can't take your foster kids with you. Okay. Because of visits and legalities and stuff. So respite would be someone like us because we're certified to be foster parents saying, oh, we'll take those kids for the week. Okay. Kind of thing. So that's what yeah. respite is. So that yeah. was, yeah, that were the few couple um, instances um, that we did before we had our first, you know, long-term placement. Yeah. So I picked up my son, Isaac, and they said it was a girl. When I got to the hospital, he wasn't. <laughs> he was a beautiful African-American boy. And my heart just went, because <gasps> that's what I pictured in my mind. I have no idea why. I didn't think I was yeah. flying to Africa or something, but, you yeah. know, so it was just, it was so, God's fingerprints were all over it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, and about two weeks after we brought him home, I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> Okay, wait, what? <laughs> no, it's so crazy and horrible. <laughs> Did you say two weeks? Yeah. God yeah, is hilarious kinda, sometimes. No, listen, this is the problem. We had kind of told God this. We'll either adopt or we'll have another one of our own, whichever yeah. one happens first. You know, because we didn't think we'd get called right away. So we were just kind of <laughs> trusting God. Well, they happen simultaneously. So, um, Watch wow. what you ask for. <laughs> real quick, God, let me tell you my plans. And then. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then you'll mess them all up. So why do we keep doing this? Right. So, yeah. So my um, my child, Isaac, who we adopted is let's see, he was born in November. So December, January, February, March, April. Uh, oh, yeah. May, June. He's eight, seven months difference than my son. Who? Wow. Wow. Yep. And while um, I was pregnant on one of the visits with his mom, so we'd have to do weekly visits because his mom still was trying to, you know, get custody back. And one of those visits, she looked at me and, you know, I'm like out to here, <laughs> extremely pregnant and probably complaining to her, honestly, if I know how my pregnancies go. And she's sure. like, I totally know how you feel. I'm so, I have so much morning sickness, too. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, ah. she's like, I'm so excited. And I'm like, you're excited. That means I'm having another baby. <laughs> so wait, is that, is that how it works? That, yes. Or, well, I can't say yes, the, right? They yes want to keep no. siblings together. They want right? siblings so. together. Now, if we had adopted our son that we are fostering Isaac, different story. Because now we have, if we, when you adopt, you have full rights, you know. Um, but when you're fostering, yeah, exactly what you said. They want to keep siblings together. And I wanted to keep them together, honestly, yeah, yeah, but, sure. uh, yeah. So within a year, sure, you don't want the, the child <laughs> growing up, not knowing that they have a sibling. Right. Or, yeah. yeah. So uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. My family thought we were crazy. They were like, you got to stop this baby thing. Like <laughs> <laughs> so, mother Teresa, what are you doing? Stop it. Like, but. To so me, when, the third, like, when the third one happened, did you start to think that it just wasn't going to stop? Like our baby yes. just going to keep coming at us from all it's, over the no, place? No, that's not a joke. I have friends that are fostering right now and they're in that scenario. They call me up for coffee and they're like, save me because there's like another <laughs> baby on the way. It's it's a real thing and it's a real challenge, right? Wow. You know, so. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think there were many people on board for this decision, but my husband was. So within 13 months, we had three babies. Yeah. And remember my daughter also, who's severely autistic and still in diapers at four. So we had four kids in diapers. 
you can't that's all I did for up, years. You? <laughs> <laughs> How many diapers is that? Um, oh, we figured it out. I forget now. It's like four or five hundred a month. <laughs> I'm sorry to be I, laughing. At, no, no, at your we, diaper misfortune. No, it was it's, it was intense. It's, a, it's unreal. It's an amazing. That's it. That's an amazing story. Like um, it should be in the Guinness Book of World Records, but yeah, <laughs> they don't have that category. I don't know why, no. and I was I was mad about it. But <laughs> that's that's amazing. So okay, so now you have um, two foster kids and a total of five children. Um. At what point, because you said that the mother at that point was still essentially fighting for custody. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it's not fighting for custody, but yeah. So mm -hmm. the, her and she's her. She's still in and, the picture. Yep, she's still in the picture and so is the father. Um, yeah, but basically, you know, they they surrendered their rights um, after, it was right around after my daughter who we also adopted, Isaac's sister, was born. I think she was only one month old. Emma is her name. Um, when they surrendered their rights. Wow. So it's still a long process. We've still had to foster for a while, even though the parents don't have rights anymore. It's still at least, there's just lots of paperwork. You have to wait for a court date. Mm -hmm. I think it was at least six or nine months before we officially adopted them. Okay. I can imagine. Uh, I don't know. Well, actually, I can't imagine. Um, I'm I'm speculating. That must be one of the most bittersweet things ever, right? When um, it was when the birth mother, the birth was it mother and father? Did yes. You say? Or, so when the birth parents essentially give up their rights, because on the one hand, that's an amazing day in your life, but at the same time. I, it's gotta be no. so emotional and heartbreaking. And so I, so I actually went like? to court. I went to court that day. And of course, part of you is like, wow, it's going to be official. It's so exciting that, you know, eventually I, you know, I, these kids are officially going to be ours because we loved yeah. them so much. But yeah, when I got into court, um, you know, the parents are sobbing and I was literally crying so hard mm because my heart was breaking for them, that I was like, kind of hyperventilating, like one of the caseworkers, like, do you are you okay? Like, to me, like, I'm like, almost making a scene sitting in the back of the court. But I just kept the thought that kept going through my head. And this is the, you know, just the pain of my heart is no one should ever have to do this. Wow. No, I granted, we live in a broken world, you know, we yeah. make choices, and there's things out of our control. But that was the overarching thought. No parent should ever have to do this. Yeah. And the one takeaway, I mean, I knew that before, but the one takeaway I, I hold on to, and I tell my kids now, cause they know they're adopted. We've, we've never like, we didn't wait and tell them on some special day. Like, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. it's always, they've always known it. Um, even when they couldn't really understand it. But one thing I always tell them is your parents loved you so much. Mm -hmm. Wow. I want them to know that. And I believe it. Yeah. That's not lip service. I believe it. And I think that's true of so many kids in care. But 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 I finished that sentence with they just weren't able to give you everything you need. Yeah. They weren't they weren't in a healthy enough place themselves to do yeah. what they needed to do. Um, so yeah, it really it opened my eyes to the need in foster care, but to both sides, right? 
Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm easy. I'm yeah. always talking about, you know, oh, there's all these kids. There's half a million kids in foster care. There's 125,000 right now that are free to be adopted um, and wow. don't have parents. Like, wow. but the flip side of that is, is the, the brokenheartedness and, and just even the help and the support that the biological parents need. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. to be able to see both sides has been really hard, but really eye opening for me to not, you know, be quick to judge. You know, we're all one step away yeah. from a bad decision that wow. could have us in the same place. Like, wow. so yeah, it's, it just really, the whole process has obviously changed our family, but really changed us. So. Wow. So going through this whole process, you, you just mentioned it a second ago that your eyes were really opened in a lot of ways to the way that the foster care system works and what would you say, I don't know, maybe are some things that you know now that you didn't know then? Mm-hmm. I guess I guess I'm wondering, obviously, we need people, good people, right, that are that are willing to foster children and adopt children. But like, I guess I guess what I'm wondering is for the for a child. And, and I know oh. that this is going to be across the board, but like, I don't know, for the average child who's in foster care, um, what what is it like obviously it's going to be different and and so it might be hard to answer this question but i I imagine is there like a lot of turnover like children moving from home to home from family to family i've heard and i only this is just very anecdotal because i don't know anything (laughs) i don't know anything uh as far as real real life stuff but um, I've just, I've heard of like so many like abuses that go on and, mm-hmm. you know, parents that get into it obviously for the wrong reasons. And, right. You know, yeah, so- I mean, that's a, yeah, for sure. Yeah. A lot of times kids are moved from home to home, um, for all kinds of different reasons. And sometimes it's because the kids are struggling so much, you know, I don't know how much you know about reactive attachment, but it's basically the whole idea of they feel that rejection, even yeah. really young kids. They feel this rejection, although they're not being rejected. They don't understand the whole situation with their biological parents. But there's this feeling of I'm not wanted or I'm not really loved. And so then they portray that. They kind of project that onto the foster family, too. And you're constantly um, battling like I'm having to prove that I love you. And none of this is conscious in their little minds, but it's this subconscious. And honestly, even with my own kids, now they were literally from birth. They've lived with us, but we are still struggling with this because they know they're adopted. I mean, I literally, before, maybe an hour before we hopped on here, I was fighting with my daughter, my youngest, and you don't love me. And she'll say these things and you're like, it's just weird. Like, where is this coming from? Yeah. But it really, there's these subconscious things within them that they feel like, you know, not loved and not accepted. And, or they're always testing the limits. Like, will you love me if I do this? What about if I do this bad thing over here? Wow. You know? So yeah. And so if these kids aren't adopted, there's nobody that will stand the test of time with them. When things get hard, foster families like this is hard and I don't blame them. They say we can't take care of this child or children anymore. And so then they are on the hunt for a new home. 
Um, and then the, the need for homes and foster families is so huge. I think, I can't tell you how many, so in our county right now, I can't tell you how many homes we have because I don't have the newest numbers. But when we were fostering, there was only 40 homes, like 40 or 45 homes in the entire St. Lawrence County and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids. Wow. So they would have to call every single, and that's something I didn't understand when we started this process. Because when when you say you want to foster or adopt, they ask you like, well, what age child do you want? And do you prefer a boy or a girl? Does that matter? Mm. Would you take a sibling group? They ask you just a lot of questions. Yeah, sure. So like when we started the classes, they started calling me and they're like, oh, do you want this 16 year old? And I'm like, no, we said we wanted kids that were younger than our oldest son. Like we didn't want any older kids, you know, and, but I kept getting these calls, you know, do you want a sibling group before? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, like nothing that I had written on the paper. Right. But <laughs> I should have said yes. Right. <laughs> but, um, but I didn't understand why at first I was kind of confused and then I'm feeling bad because I'm saying no. And I'm thinking they're going to stop asking mm -hmm. me because they keep calling me and I keep telling them no, 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 and feeling bad about it. But it it's literally because, so if they only have those 40 homes, they have to call before they can move that child out of the county, which they would absolutely hate to do because the child would leave the school that he attended, would be super far from his parents yeah. as far as visits. So way less frequent visits, mm. everything, you know, everything that is familiar to them is now going to be gone. Yeah. Um, but the only before that they can do that, like technically is they have to call every single home on that list to prove nobody wants them that they didn't have a placement. Yeah. And so that's why I was getting all these calls, but that shows you how little, how very little, you know, families they had like pool of families they had to draw from. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, the need is, is, is really huge. And then of course, you know, I can't imagine with COVID and we live, we're in upstate New York. So we're right on the border of Canada. Okay. And there's a, a um, Mohawk reservation too, like right here next to us. Mm -hmm. And so it makes for like the ideal situation for track traffic, trafficking of drugs. Okay. Well, and illegals, but um, so our town really, really struggles. It's, like I live in a small town. We don't live in a big city, but we really, really struggle um, with addiction Okay. in our town. And so there is a huge need in our County, honestly, mm -hmm. for, foster and adoptive parents. So, yeah. Wow. So when did you and your husband really start to advocate for this? Right. Um, you know, was it just through this whole thing, through seeing the process and seeing the need? Um, how did that sort of materialize sure. and develop? It really kind of started after we adopted our kids because mm -hmm. it's like I knew too much. You know, when you know too much of something and it's like, yeah, you, ugh. It's the worst, right? Like you yeah. can't go back. You can't unknow what you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yes, you know, and my husband, you know, is always trying to ground me. And he's like, Jess, we adopted two. That's we're at our max. And I knew that. I knew I couldn't add to my family in that sense. Um, but I still felt like challenged in my spirit. I got to do more. Like, what more can I do? And I was going for a run one day because I've always liked to run ever since I had my daughter, Mara, who has autism, running has been like less about even getting in shape and more about like mentally escaping. Yeah. 
sure. <laughs> really, it really was like a sure. mental health thing. So I was on a run, nothing major, just right in my neighborhood. And I was walking back to the house and I just, again, it was like this thought and I, I was praying to God, kind of complaining, like, what do you want me to do with this? And why are you giving me this burden? And I just felt like he said to me, if you take care of my kids, I'll take care of yours. Mm. And his kids being the orphans, right? His kids, that's what yeah. the Bible says, right? And my kids, obviously my three biological kids, but more than that, it really meant to me, my daughter with autism. And then I didn't mention kind of in our story of our life, but we found out four years after my daughter was diagnosed that my biological son that I had was also severely autistic. Mm -hmm. So it wow. really, to me, was like God was promising. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of them. They're going to be okay, Jess. Like it was, yeah. cause they are the burden of my heart. And I just felt like he was saying to me, you, you look out for my kids and I'll look out for yours. And that, that mm -hmm. moment, and I told my husband that, and I still didn't really know what that meant. I was just like, well, what does that mean? Am I supposed to work as a social worker? But I knew I couldn't work. You know, it's always been this dilemma. I was still in this place where I kind of, I had to focus on my kids, you know, take care of my special needs kids. And it was what I knew God was calling me to do. Um, but this tension again of like, oh, what do I do with this burden? So, yeah. And it just kind of, you know, I think my husband kind of said, you should do a run, you know? Um, and I'm like, oh. yeah, I run. And someone's like a 5k. And I'm like, no, that's lame. And then I had run a marathon <laughs> and they're like, you should do a marathon. And I was like, yeah, but there aren't very many people in our small town that would run a marathon. And I'm like, I want to get a lot of people involved. And then I was like, or oh, we could run the number. Because <laughs> at the time, there was 110,000 kids in foster care who were free to be adopted. Mm. And the best way to put that is, is like, they're waiting for someone to adopt them. You can go online yeah. right now and find them. Um, so they're, so in, they're a not foster in foster home. care. Right. Huh? Like they're, they're most like they're in a foster home, but yes, more, but for whatever reason, that temporary home situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or they're in a group. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they're in a group home, but most of the time, yeah, they're in a foster home of some sort and it's a temporary placement. Yeah. Right? I, I wanted to ask you and we'll, we'll jump right back into where we were going with the, uh, with the running. Yeah, yeah that's um, fine. But I, but I wanted to ask you too. So what is, what is that like you, you just mentioned? So there are, there's group um, foster homes or, or centers or something like that. So like there's, if a child so, is not in yeah. a, in a, they're not able to be placed in a home in their County, what then happens to them? Are they, is there a center where they stay for a while or um, are they immediately well, sent out of state? Yep. How does that? It really depends on the situation. The goal would be for them to be in an actual foster home out of the County, like with a family. Mm -hmm. But if they're unable to be placed or their behaviors are too extreme or their health needs are too extreme or something, they have typically what happens is kind of group homes. So not institutions like we think of, although there is some horrible group homes, but so I'm not painting them all rosy, but, sure. well, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard, like in the past, you think of these huge, like orphanages, we don't have right. orphanages anymore, right. The salute, but we still have kids that are orphans. Like that's, and I think that was a big misconception to me. Cause in my mind, I thought if we're going to adopt, I have to adopt overseas. Right. Cause I knew people that had adopted overseas, 
when I realized how many hundreds of thousands of kids were here, I'm right, like, what yeah. are we doing? Why would I spend $40,000, $50,000 and go to some country across the globe when there's kids in my backyard? Like, wow. you know, but I think, I think that is just, there's not enough information. People don't know that. They might know about foster care, but they don't know these kids are literally free to be adopted. So yeah, a group home would be like, they try to do it in a smaller setting, like a home, but there might be six, eight kids that live there, a couple staff that rotate in and out. So that's kind of the idea. Sometimes those homes are a part of a bigger, almost like community. Like, so you'd have like a whole campus with these homes on it. Wow. Um, with a school even and things like that. So there are some really nice setups, but still it's, you know, these are their workers. Sure. Um, They become very close with them, but it's not, it's as close as you can get to a family unit without having a family unit. So, yeah, but. Okay. Um, so yeah, well let's, uh, thanks, thanks for, thanks for the detour. Um, let's jump back (laughs) into where we were going. So at the time there's 110,000, children that are in foster care that are free to be adopted they're clear to be ad- adopted um and your husband I, th- I think this i think the underlying theme of this podcast is how awesome greg is by the way yes it <laughs> so should be it really so is all about him <laughs> so your so your husband um starts to say hey hey why don't you do a run to raise awareness for right. foster care for adoption um okay so that that was a little yeah. recap so keep going yeah so and i'm kind of a go big or go home kind of person. So I was like, no, we're not going to do a 5k. That's lame. Because the thing was, I really wanted to draw attention to the need. Okay. You know, yeah. how many marathons are there? How many 5k's are there? Like they happen all the time. Yeah. What is something I can do? Like, can I set my whole self on fire? No, I thought <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> I could <laughs> probably not wise, but probably. that's not like yeah. I was like, I have to, it has to be something that would bring attention to the need. And I guess I didn't realize I was thinking in our county. Like that was my goal. Like, yeah, because I was seeing the need in our county. I knew it was across the globe, but I was focusing on that. I had relationships with, you know, the children's home there and um, social workers. And so it just felt like, let's do this. And so we decided to do a, to run 110 miles and we ran like the like our entire like county, like we ran through all the different towns um, that we live in and within 24 hours. So that was, that was the hard part. <laughs> well, it was all hard. Yeah. I love um, how you just kind of like glossed <laughs> over 110 miles. Like it was like, it was nothing. 5k. No, we'll do 110, <laughs> not K's miles. Um, you could, cause you could have done 110 K. I mean, you could have, you could have. That's lame, that dude. Lame. But <laughs> that would have been what, like 60, 70-ish, 65, 70? I don't know. Uh, I'm not good with uh, that. But anyway, yeah. but but here's the thing. Like, um, that's awesome. So again, 110 miles because of the fact that there's 110,000 right. um, children in foster care. Um, and so really just doing something massive to bring awareness to this issue, right? Right. Um, and so you started to organize the run. First of all, how much training goes into running 100? And, I, listen, I didn't know until recently that a person could run. <laughs> well, I didn't make it, so don't be impressed. <laughs> well, but what you did make um, is still just we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get there. Um, yeah. But, so but I, it's still mind blowing to me. I, I look, I thought that people that ran marathons were like superhuman. And I was like. <laughs> 
if you can run a marathon, like that's got to be it. Like you run a marathon, all these people train for marathons. You have these like frequent marathon runners that it's their life and they travel all over the country and they do marathons in different places. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. So when you run a marathon, like that's it. Like that's the extent of what a human can do. But then I heard, I started hearing about like people running double marathons and then ultra yeah, that's what. Well, and- that's what happened to me. I ran two marathons and I loved it. Now I don't run fast. Like people run fast. And I realized that's what I started to realize as I started running. If I focus on running fast, I don't enjoy it. I'm looking at my watch and I'm stressed. I just wanted to the idea of running, you know? Yeah. Um, so my second marathon, um, my husband was at the finish line. He's like, great job. You beat your last time. And I'm like, I could keep going. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I think I could go longer. And he's like, now, <laughs> like right now. <laughs> yes. I'm like right now. And he's like, that doesn't make sense. So that's kind of where, so I did a 50 miler before this. So I had some, I mean, it was a lot more. We're over doubling the distance, but I knew I, I had done a 50. Um, so yeah, I started training six months out and it got to the point where I'd put my kids on the bus in the morning. And when the bus came back, I w- was finishing my run. Mm, so I was like wow. running the entire day. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I'd stop at like, you know, Taco Bell along the way or that something horrible. <laughs> this is, is the that, best is part about long distance running. Like all these people are like oh, eating gels. Food, right? I just eat real yeah. food, man. Come on. I mean, Taco Bell is probably a bad, a bad illustration, but. How, how many calories oh, would God. you. How, how many calories would you say? I don't want to say it's embarrassing. Day? It's, but it's not because I mean, I've, I've heard, um, I've heard people say when they get ready to do some kind of a crazy run, they'll, they'll do like 6,000 calories. Right. Um, yeah. Like you know, carb that, loading. That yeah. Morning or I mean, like really that. throughout the day, throughout the course of that 24 hour period. Oh, I had an entire, I went shopping two days before and I had an entire Walmart grocery cart filled. That was just my food. <laughs> no i didn't eat it all i wanted to make sure i had more than enough but yeah that i was like because i mean i think it's on average you burn 100 calories every mile you run which doesn't even sound like a lot but yeah i think depending on your speed but uh but yeah i think um yeah i would say at least that or or more yeah yeah so that's you know kind of factor that in and, and, you know, you know, when you need to start eating, cause you start feeling really weak. Um, but yeah, it's the best sport in the world. You get to eat all this food while doing the sport. I mean, there's no other sport in the world that you can do that. I mean, you're not like out playing football, like eating, but so I'm running and eating simultaneously. You don't cramp up. You don't cramp up from, from the eating. No, yeah. it's just burning. It's just burning probably too too consistently or whatever. So I don't know. There are certain foods you shouldn't eat. There's certain things that, you know, aren't good for you, but. Like a big plate of pasta. Like, no, like... that's good for you. <laughs> really? All the carbs, man. Well, Great. I saw, did you see that? Are you into the office at all? When they did the. Oh, like yes. The I love the office. He ate all that Alfredo. Yeah. <laughs> for the run. Alfredo, so that, maybe not. That's I get my I get my uh, my information mostly from yeah. TV shows. Very that's reliable sources, <laughs> right? Reliable sources. Um. So, so yeah. Wow. Okay. So we you set it up. Uh, when was this? Um. The, so this the was 2008. Nationwide. It was it was on. That was the other thing. I wanted to do it on National Adoption Day. Okay. So that was November 
I think it was the 18th. The day changes a little bit every year because it's a Saturday. Mm. Uh, it was November 18th, I believe, 2018. Okay. Or maybe I'm wrong. Actually, I think it's the 20th. It doesn't matter. But it was in 2018 <laughs> was in yeah. on National Adoption Day. Yeah. And when we, well, two days before the run, I wake up and I have a message from Runner's World. And I'm like, what? And they're like, Runner's World, we're trying wow. to contact you. And I'm like, how? How do they even? It was so weird. Cool. So like it ended up getting national attention, which was way more than I expected. You know, I wow. really was focusing on our county. So I was super happy for that. Um, but then the morning of the run, I woke up and I looked out the window and like most of the schools were canceled because we had had our first snowstorm of the year. Cause upstate, right, New, upstate York, New York, you just never yeah. know. Yeah. So I looked at my husband and I said, what are we going to do? And he's like, you're going to run. <laughs> like there was no out. I was like, come on, come on, Greg, Greg, you get Wait, so many points on this podcast. Greg, you are definitely winning for the most points <laughs> earned on this podcast, man. So yeah, so I, uh, yeah, it was, it was rough. I most, the first 40 miles I had metal cleats on my shoes the because it was so, miles. it was so slippery. I was like sliding all over the road because the roads hadn't mm. been cleared yet, especially in the wow. early morning wow. when like, as the day went on, some of the snow started to melt and plows had gone through. So this, cause I was running, this whole run is on the side of the road on the side of highways. Cause we yeah. were running through towns. Like, so, um, so it got better as the day went on. I was able to take the cleats off, but I was not realizing until like an afterthought. Wow. Running 40 miles on metal cleats is probably, probably not good for my legs. Probably not great for the shins. No. So what it was like fluid filled all of my, my calves, my wow. feet. And so at what was 68 miles, this was the middle of the night at that point. Cause we had started in the morning. I can't remember what time it was. I probably blocked that out of my mind. <laughs> it was three and three or four in the morning. And wow. I, I mean, I couldn't, it wasn't like I was tired. I mean, I was tired, <laughs> but it was my, my feet were so swollen and my legs yeah. that every time I stepped, it was super, super painful. Like I couldn't even, I was, I was, my husband says I was crawling. Now I was walking, but he's like, at this mm. pace, he, he had figured it all out at this pace. You will finish this run. And it was some, it was like in a day and a half from now or something. <laughs> so that's yeah, yeah, how yeah. slow I was going. Yeah, I got you. He's, he's like, you know, I think you need to be safe and you need to also think about your own. You don't want to permanently damage something. And I, I fought him for a couple miles, but he finally made me get in the car and I was super like, man, this sucks. And I can't believe, you know, I really wanted to finish. But as soon as people started hearing, because people stayed up all night, which was really weird. Like people were following it all night. And I didn't know this because I'm out running. So my husband's yeah. like, I get in the car and he goes, you have to talk to the people. And I'm like, what people? And he's like, the people. I'm like, it's four in the morning, honey. Who's up? We can explain in the morning. And he goes, no. And he like shows me his phone. And there's like thousands and thousands of people. Wow. Like tracking all of my run and he's like you, wow. you gotta say something you got so, so he puts cool. me on live and i'm like oh god great talk about a humbling experience but so i explain you know you know gotta gotta stop or whatever and mm. within i don't know 15 minutes because we had had um pacers you know what a pacer is yes 
So we had had pacers um, for the first part of the run in the afternoon. I didn't have them, but later on and through the night and just for safety reasons and everything sure. else, yeah. um, there was always somebody running with me, sometimes multiple people. Yeah. Um, so it was like encouraging, get your mind off things. Mm -hmm. You're safe. My husband was following us in the car. So we always had that too. And we had a, um, you know, um, someone in the medical field there. So we were super safe, but all the pacers kind of got wind of this and they're like, we're just going to keep running. Mm. Why don't we make this a relay? We're just going to keep cool. going. And I'm like, well, you guys don't have to do that. It's like the middle of the night and, and nobody wanted to stop. So they just all took over and finished the run, like almost in perfect timing, almost exactly 24 hours. Every, we wow. finished the run. So it was really cool to have everybody else kind of just join in. So every year subsequent, we've had two more. We call it the National Day Adoption Run. I do not run long distances at all. <laughs> nope. I'll run a couple legs and that's it. But yeah, we've had okay. two years, even through COVID last year. Um, we had over 100 runners, 100 in-person runners, and I think over 100 uh, virtual runners. And we, we follow the same route. And we just do kind of relay style. So you wow. pick which leg you want to run and it's been awesome. It's kind of really become a cool. thing in the area and uh, people come out from all over and it's continually still raising awareness, you know? Um, so yeah. yeah, it's been amazing. That's so cool. Did, is there any doubt in your mind that if uh, it was a normal day, maybe it was, you know, <laughs> in the forties or or low fifties or whatever. I don't know what the normal normal would be for that oh, yeah, time of the year, that. but uh, you know, maybe, maybe in the forties or something like that, but not icy, not snow on the ground. You're not wearing metal cleats. Is there any doubt in your mind that you would have made it? I think I would, but who knows? I I'd mean, never run that far. The furthest I think I had, I mean, it was 50, but the, in my trainings, I would do some back to back runs, but yeah, I, I, I think I could have, but I always think that I could do more than I can in yeah. life. So. <laughs> well, I think that's a, I think that's a good thing. Um, yeah. There's, there's, I mean, the, the amount of, of pressure that that would put on your, on the leg, first of all. And, and the thing is, like you mentioned, like when you're, when your calves start swelling up, that's like a really big muscle that has nowhere there's nowhere right. for that swelling to go. Right. And so it just becomes constant pain that you can't do anything about. That's why like in MMA, like in, in fighting, like they're so into kicking people in the calves wow. because like you can, you can get in these like really low calf kicks that are kind of hard to, you know, they're, they're kind of hard to counter against. And uh, it just, it takes dudes out because wow. like once you, once you start getting like that lower leg sort of swelling, it just becomes, you know, so painful and it's, and it's hard. To yeah. And my so legs, the fact that you made it as far as you did is really, really fantastic and phenomenal. And well, uh, I, I, looking back, I'm like, it was perfect. It's the way it should have been, you know, like, mm -hmm. cause I don't even know if it was something we never thought like, Oh, let's continue to do this and we'll make it a relay. Like it became what it was meant to be. And the snow and all of the difficulty made it even just, honestly, I just feel like God, God knew, you know, and it, it wasn't, it isn't just me that's going to be able to do this. It's going to take a community. It takes all of us, you know? So it was just this perfect picture of like, so good. you know, okay, I'm going to take up, take up, up where you left off kind of thing. Like, yeah. you know, so that's what God intends. Right. So I don't know. It was, I don't want to do it again, <laughs> <laughs> but it couldn't have gone better at the same time. Yeah. You know? But I mean, you said you, you did something, you know, just in your, 
in your obedience and your right. in your willingness to do something that was difficult for you that you had never done, obviously out of your comfort zone, because like you said, I mean, you had never done anything even even close to that up to that right. point, even though you had done some amazing things and and a lot of running and all of that. But um, but then it's just so cool how how God will take our efforts and the things that we do just in agreement in partnership with him. And sometimes right. that just simple obedience and he'll take it and he'll make something like even even for you, like you could have looked at that and said, man, I failed. I blew it. Right. But you really didn't because what happened was God took it and just transformed it into something that yeah. you couldn't have even imagined. You know, it's something he, that's. Yeah. That's I always better. say he he multiplies, you know, yeah. like our lives can only do like yeah. addition one plus one. But if you put God in the equation, it always magnifies and multiplies like. So, I mean, he always does beyond what we could ask. And that's, that was what it was. It was beyond, and it still is because God's still working and, and using all of that. Um, so, um, yeah, it was a success. It's super inspiring. And, uh, so how, how many miles did you end up running or did you already say that? It was, it was 68 or 69, some 68 and a half or something. <laughs> I really want to get to that 70 mark. I was like, give me two more miles. At least it's a rounded. No, I don't know why. Yeah. yeah. No, you killed okay. it. That is awesome. That is so cool. So. In the ice, in the snow. It's just, that's unreal. That's awesome. Um, and so now this is something that's uh, become a yearly thing. Yeah. And it's always on uh, National Adoption Day. Yeah. Right. And yeah, so. Well, usually it starts the Friday before, the afternoon of the Friday before, and it goes in so that God. we end. Yeah you know, we didn't want to end late at night or something on national adoption day in the like mid afternoon, three, four in the afternoon. So yeah. Beautiful. Um, we're hoping next, this, this coming, not next year, this come, this coming November, who knows though with COVID to have kind of like a big celebration after, but we weren't able to do that right this last year. Yeah. But I was really surprised at the turnout, you know, cause people, some people were in masks while they were running and, uh, but they still did it. So so cool. Well, this is really, really small scale. But my son, um, prior to COVID, my my son, he's 10 now. At the time, he was probably eight or nine. Uh, he joined the running club at his school. And so part of the thing, like they would do, they'd stay after school and they would they would run and stuff yeah. like that. But then they would also sign up for a handful of like 5Ks just in different parts of the city. The city where I live, um, they do they do a bunch of them. And uh, so... I, you know, I went with him and well, we all went, my wife and my two kids and, and I ended up running with my son in this, uh, in this 5k and it was on like Thanksgiving morning. I forget. It was like ah. a turkey trot or something. It was called. Yeah. Hobble gobble. Man, we have a hobble like gobble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So, but, um, and, uh, that was just a 5k. And as you said, that's lame, but <laughs> not for you. But, no, no, no. Not for me for sure. For but, but, but the reason I bring it up is just because there were, um, probably a couple thousand people wow. there and the, just the feeling of that, like the sense of that, of, of running together with people. And maybe it wasn't a couple thousand. I'd say it was at least a thousand, 1200, maybe that's more on the money, but a bunch of people and, uh, you know, all the, it's just like the roads are blocked yep. off and you're just all running, running together. And of course, separation happens once you get, you know, going, but um, just that feeling of sort of like that camaraderie and you know that you're 
doing something that's like even though that was on like a, a smaller scale it was still for charity yep. and it, you know what i mean like just that sort of feeling of of getting together and even like then in that sort of atmosphere you feel like you can you can go further you can mm -hmm. you can run farther you could run a little bit true. harder than you would if you were just doing it on your own true. And so i just think it's such a such a beautiful thing you know? so you're gonna keep running yeah i run i mean I, I don't run <laughs> like you run. <laughs> I uh so I was a I was a sprinter in high school and uh I was I'm I'm just gonna say I was pretty fast. Um I went to a school that was always competing on the national level. Um and so our workouts were like really rugged. And yeah. so when I first when I first got into it, I was like, yo, this is nuts. Like the football players that were doing like two a day practices they were telling us like yeah your workouts are more rugged than ours <laughs> and so we were um we were uh anyway they they moved me out of the there was an a group and a b group within the first like two practices i think they made me quit the b group um because they were like you're making you know you're 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 making us look bad kind of thing so <laughs> they put me in the a group then when i was in the a group i started off and i was always like one of the worst in the a group and uh, but it always I always wanted to be better. So what I started to do was, you know, what happens with uh, with kids in high school and probably in real life, oh, no. too. when you're good at something, you don't try as hard when you yeah. don't have to sometimes. And so what I found out was like a lot of the kids that were really, really good at running, they would not, you know, they wouldn't perform fantastically in practice on purpose. And so what happened was I found out I could be at the front of the pack if I pushed myself really, really hard. And so that's what I did because I never wanted to be in the back. I always wanted to be running with the fast kids. I knew I wasn't as fast as them, but I made it look like I was just by competing really, really right. hard. So that's what I did. That's how I pushed myself. And I um, and I, you know, I got I got pretty fast, but it was like sprinting. It was short races. I would do like 400s and 800s. Yeah, 400 meters. Right. Like yeah. That. But uh, but yeah, I, I still run, but I only run like a couple miles at a time. I don't. Yeah, uh... <laughs> that, honestly, that's, that's I have this route I run in my town and that's pretty much what I run now. Everyone's like, when are you going to do another, you know, marathon or an ultra marathon? I'm like, maybe <laughs> I'm like, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm like, I, yeah. I even said after I finished the adoption run, I was like. I don't know if I'll ever run again. <laughs> I didn't mean it. I mean, I love running, but yeah, it, it's, it's a lot. It takes a lot of training. Yeah. You, know? you have to invest a lot of time. Like if you want to run long distance and which I love, but we'll see. Do you completely wear out a pair of shoes running? that Yes. Far? Yes. I had two different pairs just for this run. And I yeah. did, I was thinking I was going to have to throw one of them away, but but yeah, yeah. When I trained, I went through, I think I went through four different pairs in the six months and then bought two new pairs for the run. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the only investment though. Running's a pretty cheap sport otherwise, yeah. especially if you're only doing a couple miles at a time, you can wear those yeah. shoes for a while. So <laughs> for a while, I think I still have the same to... shoes. I haven't bought anymore because I haven't trained anymore. So. Yeah. No, it's good. And you can do it anywhere. Um, yep. I've, I've started to have some knee problems, though. Oh, so you're I can't getting run. Old. I, yeah, I'm getting old. I can't <laughs> run every day. So I can treadmill run every day, but I hate treadmill running. So I hate it too. Um, 
I'll go to the gym and I'll do the treadmill if I have to. But I, I'm at the point where I can run. I could do street running probably like two or three times a week without, you know, if, if I try to do it like too many days in a row, my, my knees really start to, yeah. to bother me and it gets to where, you know, I'll go out one day for a run and I'll and I'll be like, oh, I can't even do this. Um, so, you know, I've, I've had to, I've had to cut back cause, um, I really do love running, but, but I don't, I gotta be out in the, in the, Me you too. know, I gotta I'm the be same out way. in life. So I'm the same way, but yeah. So, um, listen, I need to bring this up because my kids were super excited. Uh, my kids are really into American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> you had to bring <laughs> so, that one up. <laughs> I just have to bring it up because they were like, you're, you're my, my kids don't even watch my podcast, but they're, but you're, you're their favorite guest <laughs> because of the fact Well, that just show them my, I don't know. I'll have to send it to you. I'll, sh I'll send it to you. My, uh, my video of the competition and I won't be their favorite guest anymore. And they'll be like, why does she do so bad? <laughs> it happens to a lot of people though, right? Like it really yeah, does. I don't know. We watch it as a family. And so, I mean, it happens to a lot of people, but anyway, so, but what was that like in terms of what went into becoming, so you were a contestant on season eight of American yeah. warrior for anyone listening that doesn't know um, what goes into getting to that level where you're actually competing. A lot, a lot of pull-ups. <laughs> My husband is like, what is going on with you? Like, honestly, yeah. Um, I, I, I still ran, um, but really temp tempered that back a lot and worked on my upper body because I hadn't really, I've been a runner my whole life. I never did anything. I mean, I'd work out once in a while, but nothing really intense. Yeah. No. So, and I honestly, again, didn't think I was going to get picked, but, um, was super surprised when they called me. And the thing is when they call you, you only have like a month before the show. Okay. So you better have been training before then. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so you apply like, you know, six months or eight months before that, but they literally don't call you until like three, sometimes it's three weeks before the show. Wow. You're scrambling. You like, got to be ready. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. So there was about, I think it was 80 to 100 other contestants. Um, I was in like the Northeast region. Mm -hmm. And um, it was super fun to meet all the people. But the problem was, so as I was saying, I was like obsessed with pull-ups. And I, about a week before the competition, I, I, I wasn't a pull-up. My husband had made me like a pegboard thing. You know what yeah. I'm talking about with the holes yeah, and nothing. And so I had that attached to my garage and I was using it and I went to just put my arm up and all of a sudden I felt something in my back like <laughs> what? Like tear or strain or something. And yeah. I'm like, oh no. So I, I like I couldn't even lift my hands like this. Okay. I went to the doctors. This was like maybe a week and a half before the competition. Oh. And he was like, you know, it's not it's not torn, but it's a really bad strain in the i forget what this back muscle is called trapezius but, or something yeah no it's not that one but it doesn't matter it's yeah. um the big one anyway uh, <laughs> i already told you i'm anatomy I yeah come yeah. on that wasn't on the office <laughs> um so he was like it's strained you need to rest for at least a month and a half you can't do any you know wow. strenuous activity and i was like 
um, okay, thank you. And then I get home and I was like, I can't say, so I did contact the producers and they said, we can, you know, we can't guarantee that you will get to go next season. We understand the injury. We yeah. understand if you have to bow out, you can reapply. And of course we'll give you a little bit more consideration, but there's no guarantee. And I was kind of like, oh, this is, because I really wasn't doing it to win. Because again, I think the reason why they picked me, they were not impressed with my ninja because it wasn't very impressive. My husband would laugh at me. He'd go to the gym and he'd be like, I think you should, I think you're good at running. What are you, like just laughing at me all the time because I just, just it's hard. And, um, you know, so I don't think they were impressed necessarily with my ninja skills. I think they were really impressed. We, we you know, we did, you make like a video and you send it to them. And we talked about our family and adoption and my heart for adoption. This was before I did the run. <clears throat> and I really was like, I want to use this as an avenue to bring awareness. Um, so I didn't expect to win or even do well. I just was like, I hope that they air my story because yes. they, they pick out of the 80 to 100 people. I think they picked 10 or 15 of us to do exclusive interviews with. Wow. And I got picked. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, it'd be so awesome because we talked all about adoption and yay, you know. So I was like, I got to go. Even if I'm injured, I got to go. And yeah, within I jumped on the first obstacle and I I fell like I jumped like the quad steps. I jumped two and slipped in the water on the third. <laughs> and then like two people later was like this Vietnam vet. I swear he was like 75 years old. And my husband, I'm like soaking wet and my husband watching from the sidelines and he's standing next to me and he's like, look, that old man made it further than you. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> why my son, my oldest, I mean, he was younger at the uh, time. He was probably nine at the time. I can't remember yeah. bawling, crying, mom, you uh, fell. I'm like he was devastated. I'm like, buddy, it's just a show. It's just a show. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, so they never aired it. And I was partly thankful because it was so bad, mm -hmm. but partly sad because I really wanted the story and the cause of adoption to be focused on. But yeah, but it kind of was like God was kind of redirecting me like, OK, that's mm -hmm. you know, that's you're trying to do this over here. That's not your thing. And, okay. <laughs> and it's not really about you. And I'm just going to really embarrass mm -hmm. you and humble you over here so you can get what it's really about, you know. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a learning process. Uh, it was a great experience, but I feel almost it was a learning process, too. Like, you know, we're all a big, a mixed bag of motives. I think Jenny Allen says that. And I like that. I'm like, it's true. We want to do what God wants, but sometimes our ego gets in the way, too. And, sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, they actually they show, a few, you know, quite a few of those of people falling. falling at the, I know. The first one. So you kind of you kind of, you know, escaped that. Um, <laughs> I was blessed at the, at the beginning. But yeah. So um, what was it like? I mean, do you. Do you get to do the like? Had you done the obstacles ahead of time? Like, yeah, how does that work? Because I know some people they really do build like those courses in their backyard. There's places. There's you know certain places that I guess you can go where they have. Uh, yeah, I had my husband and all that stuff. But my husband built some quad steps. He did a pegboard. We had a few things um, at the house, but we live in upstate New York, so there was no ninja gyms anywhere. So I actually sure. had to drive three hours to Vermont. I tried to go like, especially, you know, the last few months before the show, I tried to go every week 
So I would drive three hours, work out for an hour and drive three hours back. But it was wow. a great little break for me because the kids were all really little then. You know, I had those foreign diapers, sure. you know, yeah. my husband kind of held yeah. down the four and it, it was a good, again, it was a good mental like, oh, I'm just going to go drive, listen to music and decompress. So, um, yeah, I made the most of it. But yeah, it was it was rough traveling that far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. That's uh, that's a lot. That's a lot. Um, so but I do I do want to, you know, point something out because something that you mentioned really, really early on um, that just I don't know if you said the word hope or if just what you were talking about just made me think about that. But, you know, I really think that that your story and. Look, I mean, let, let's just take a look at. I think it was when you were talking about, um, you know, being in this place of ministry where you, you had to step back. Yeah. That, this mm -hmm. is, that's where we were in the conversation um, when I thought about it, but you were in this place of ministry and then having to step back to take care of, of your child um, who had severe, you know, diagnosed with severe autism and, and recognizing that in order to, um, you know, care for your child, like you had to be there and you really had to be there full time. Right. And, you know, I, I, but looking at your life and the things that you've done since then, and then, uh, you know, adopting children and, you know, now with five of your own and, you know, organizing these runs and, um, you know, still with your husband running a church. And now, you know, you're getting ready to launch this podcast and you're going to have a, a book coming out and, you know, all these different things that you do going on American Ninja Warrior. Um, I really think that it's so inspiring and, you know, I put, I posted something yesterday um, that, you know, in, in my opinion, you're just someone who's a, a real life hero. And yeah. I really and I really believe that. And, and uh, because you're the work that you're doing, the things that you're bringing attention to, um, I, I really think that your story is going to inspire so many people and has inspired so many people that just really need hope. Right. Um, there's something about hope that gives you authority there's something that about hope that i mean every single person on this planet needs hope and first of all there is no real hope apart from jesus christ right you know but there are so many people that are struggling and whether it's in a situation like you know similar to what you were talking about which what your experience has been or other situations where people just get into these modes of life where they feel trapped, where they feel stuck, where yeah. they feel like they can't have their dreams anymore. They can't go after those things anymore because of the hand they were dealt or because of their circumstances, yeah. maybe because they had some kind of an unfavorable diagnosis or like whatever, whatever, whatever it is. There's so many people that just need hope that feel stuck, that feel like they don't have any hope. And it's, you know, people like you that, that really, give people permission to live life and to make mistakes, but at the same time to recognize that, hold on, like God still has a plan for your life. Yeah. God still has, you know, the, the things that he promised you, he hasn't given up on, he hasn't forgotten about those yep. things. And so no matter what you feel like right now, how trapped you feel, there is always hope. Yeah. You know? That, that and honestly, I mean, that's my life message. I mean, I didn't know it was my life message until probably a year ago when I kind of mm. sat down and had an editor help me kind of unearth it. Like he didn't, he didn't help me write it. He helped me find it, but it's not just a life message for me. It's really a life message for anyone who is a believer. Yeah. 
If we believe, I mean, Jesus left this earth. He said, it's better I should go. And you're thinking, why? <laughs> hey, please. <laughs> no like, way that makes sense, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. There's lots yeah. of sick people. There's everything's a mess, you know, like it's not better for you should go. Why? Why? But it was. It's better I should go because if I go, the Holy Spirit can come. Yes. And instead of being one Jesus, he has he's living in every one of us. Right. So whatever he was able to do, because he limited himself in this sense. I mean, he was God, but he, you know, could only be in one place at one time on the earth. Like he knew I need to leave so the Holy Spirit can come and live inside of us. Like if that, you know, if I just don't think we believe it. Yeah. We don't believe the God of the universe lives inside of us. I really don't. I it comes yeah. down to it because yeah, we look at people and we say, Well, that person's talented or that person's blessed or that person had an easy life or whatever we want to say the reason why their life is heading in this way or their life is is good or god's using them they're always this special case mm -hmm. i don't think that's true yeah. i think the only difference is maybe they actually believe that the god of the universe lives inside of them and and they're crazy enough. And that's the only thing that I can claim because anything God's done in and through me is only because I've been crazy enough, not just to do it, but to believe it was him. Because that's mm -hmm. the other thing. So even if you start to believe, okay, yes, I know, I know in my head, the Holy Spirit, like this is a mental, like I know, but it's not here, right? You might yeah. believe the Holy Spirit's in you, but you always doubt every idea and everything, right? Like that you have. Yeah. And you don't doubt God. You might not say I'm doubting God. You're doubting yourself. Like, how do I really know if he's telling me to do this? Yeah. Like, that's kind of, I, I mean, as a pastor, you hear that every day. Well, how do you hear God's voice, Jessica? And how do you know? I say, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and my answer to them is trial and error. And they're like, yeah. oh, I don't like that answer. But that wow. is the only way because it's impossible to please God without faith. Come on. It's not, it's not, it doesn't say it's impossible to please God without good works. It doesn't say it's impossible to please God without being polite and having nice manners and being a good Christian. He said, if you want to please me, the only way is to have faith. Yeah. And so you're not going to know for sure, mm -hmm. but will you do it anyway? Because that's a step of obedience. And every time in my life, even the times where I've fallen on my face, because mm. it really wasn't about me. It was what he was doing in and through Yes. my obedience. Yeah. Right. And so I just want, I just want people. That is just the core of who I am. It's the same God lives in you and he has purposes and plans since the beginning yeah. of time for you to do. Don't limit yourself because he doesn't limit you. He's in yeah. you, you know? So yeah. sorry, I could go and preach a message on it, but no, it's, it's so, so true. And we're always thinking someone else is the exception, but no, it's just a matter of you believing in, in faith and making the step, whatever that is, it's going to look yeah. different for every one of us, you know? Yeah. You might tell one of us to start a po podcast. You might tell another one of us to quit our, our day job. You might tell another one of us to move to China. Do it. <laughs> That's all do I got to say. Stop yeah. wondering if it's him and do it because we, we don't have those thoughts. We're selfish, you know, we're selfish beings. We're yeah. thinking about, you know, what am I going to eat next? And is my hair out of place? Like that, when we have thoughts that are about someone else and for someone else, 
it's it's god it's not the it's not the enemy <laughs> yeah absolutely so Man. No, it's so good. It's so funny that you went there because I um, I actually my, on my other podcast, the episode I released today was about that exact thing. Really? And I'll have um, to listen. Yeah, it's uh, the hundredth episode. And, and I, I yeah. um, just had something on my heart. And but yeah, so like it's it's crazy because we can we can think so much stuff in our head like we can quote right. and recite Bible verses. We can sing worship songs. But what really comes down to it, the thing that's that governs our life is is what we actually believe. Yep. So like I could say, yeah, Christ in me, Christ in you. Like I, I can say all of these things <laughs> and and think that those things are true. But then if if I'm constantly living my life and making decisions and going in a direction that that would say otherwise, what it tells me is that that ha that belief has not become rooted and grounded in right. me to the point that it actually governs like it becomes my sort of autopilot that my yeah. my go-to way of thinking you know it's not governing my life it's not governing my actions so i think a lot of a lot of people a lot of god's people really tend toward or gravitate toward like a scarcity mindset mm -hmm. um or you know a poverty mentality or just a, a mentality that's based on lack Right. And like you said, God is not limited by anything. God's not limited by anybody's circumstances, by mm -hmm. the hand that, you know, anybody's been dealt like God's not limited by any of that. And so if we'll just learn to really just believe him, like we're called we're called believers for a reason. Right? Believe what he says. And that's every that's the whole thing. Like, like trust and obey that simple obedience to the leading and the direction of God in our lives. And I really think that we over-spiritualize that so we much. We wait for these big, huge, like thunderous voices from heaven before. I always move. say, I always say it's really simple, but it's really hard. <laughs> it is. It is like, that's why he says it's, you got to be like a child. Mm -hmm. Cause like, okay, go yeah. put that over there. They would just go do it. They're not going to think of, I don't know. Should I do that? What's everybody else I thinking? I don't know if I have time to do that. Do I have the money to do that? Yeah. Like, that's what we do. We sure do. Yeah. We sure do. Yeah. It's, it's, um, well, anyway, I love, I love, uh, I love Sorry, where you went with that. Talk and... forever. <laughs> no, I know. I know for sure. It's, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I do want to mention your podcast that, um, yeah. is a soon coming reality. Um, and it's the, when did you say it's launching? I know you said next month. I just yeah, do we don't. A, a I don't know if we have an official date. Of... It's going to be the end of September. Wait okay. till our kids are in school and be able to really hunker down on it. But yeah, so we're doing a podcast for autism families, um, parenting basically. Me and my husband are co-hosting it, so it should be fun. Awesome. Hopefully, we don't fight too much on air. But yeah, <laughs> super excited about it. It's going to be called uh, the Full Spectrum Parent, and so we're mm -hmm. kind of be obviously talking about our children with autism, but even our children that we've adopted and, you know, they both have ADHD and um, different struggles we've had with them. And even parenting um, my son, who's a typical child, but in the midst of all of that. Yeah. Um, but the unique part about it that I'm really excited about is it's the only faith-based podcast. I, I've yet to find one. If somebody knows of one, um, that's, geared towards um autism families so yeah. i'm really excited just through that framework because that was a big challenge for me i needed practical help and i needed 
to know where the heck is God in this mess mm, yeah. um, and how to, yeah, just relate with him and get over being angry with him and how to still serve him and wow. live for him. So, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Well, when uh, when you first brought it up to me, which I don't I don't know, month, month and a half ago, something like that, when you first brought it up to me and it was still uh, I I think you said you you were still thinking about it. It wasn't a, a, f a fully solidified idea at the time. I could be wrong. I could be remembering that wrong. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> but uh, I was so excited about it. Like I was instantly excited about it. And uh, that was the first conversation that you and I had ever had. <laughs> so it's not like I know you super well or anything. Um, but uh, I've really I've really enjoyed um, getting to know you and hearing your heart, and hearing these things that you're passionate about and that drive you and that motivate you. And um I'm so excited about this, and I'm I'm telling you, I will. I'm going to champion this thing in any way that I can. Oh, you're There's the best. That I Thank can you. Do to help or support you guys. Um, I'm I'm down for it because I well, I love I I tell people all the time start pod start a podcast because I really love <laughs> this this method of communication. I really think it's a really cool medium for putting out content, and I just I just I just love it in general. But what you're doing and going into a particular area of right. life where there's not a whole lot of, of resources and information and definitely nobody doing it from your, you know, yours and Greg's unique perspective. Right. And I just think it's going to add so much value um, to a community that really needs help. Yes, and like we talked so. about, that really needs just an infusion of hope. Um, yeah, I think it's life. one in 40. I think the newest statistic is one in 42 kids are diagnosed with autism. So it's, it's crazy. So it's it a seems huge. Like that goes up like every year, doesn't it? It does. It does. So it's a huge, huge, huge need. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Jessica, awesome. I also, last thing I, uh, I would love for people to, check out um your the the tedx talk that you did oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as something I, I i listened to it and it was super encouraging and uh and powerful so uh jessica for anybody listening jessica did a a tedx talk a while back called how to win at the race called life and i know that it's available on youtube is there anywhere else that that might be yeah, easier to find it or that you'd point people yep if you just search my name on the ted ted.com website cool. It should come right up too. It's on their website. So, awesome. and YouTube. So, yeah. Awesome. And maybe just like real quick, could you give a just a quick uh, plug or preview to that? What that's about? Uh, what your, yeah, what sure. your heart was in that? Um, it's really kind of my talk kind of chronicles my adoption run race and my experience there. But really, the overall message of it is that we think that our lives are successful or we win at this race called life by our accomplishments. Mm. Um, but that's really a lie that it's truly when we love and serve others that that is the definition of success. Wow. Um, love that. Yeah. So I think I mentioned God a couple of times, but because it was a TEDx talks, obviously, sure. obviously I don't like quote scriptures, but um, yeah, just kind of what God's taught me through all of that and how that, even some research and stuff of how people are just so discontent with their lives. Even yeah. people who are successful, <laughs> rich yeah. or wealthy or, you know, um, but and that the interesting thing is that 
people people that look like they have it all together yeah. and that they have a really awesome life because all that we really because we're so online like what we, we see is their highlight reel you know what we see is like the best things that that people do and so i really think that so many people like we we tend to compare ourselves to others just based on what we see but so often what we see is just a very small shell of what's yeah. actually going on in the life of that person and hopefully not hopefully that person really does have an awesome life but so many so many of us um don't so so many people are are really dealing with with serious struggles and just like posting the things that they know that mm -hmm. you know people want to see or that they think is going to put them in a, in a particular light and uh you know i so i think that in some ways that creates just some like unhealthy sort of perspective on life, thinking that we've always got to be up here. We've always got to right. measure up. We've always got to be okay. I think we really suffer from that in the church is like always feeling like we've got to be at a hundred. We've always got to, yeah. you know, have a smile and, and have a good attitude and whatever. And I love that. One of the things that really grabbed me from that talk as I listened to it was just like the, this idea of giving people permission to like, it's, it's okay to fail. And I think, right. I, and, and when I say fail, I don't actually believe in failure unless you just quit and just like stop trying. <laughs> so like, if you, if you don't right. achieve a desired outcome, that's not even a failure because you get to learn from it and you get right. to like be better next time. And so even what we were talking about a minute ago, a minute ago with faith, you know, I say, I, I tell people, I mean, I didn't make this up. I think a lot of people say it, but like faith is spelled R I S K, right. you know? And being willing to step out and take that risk sometimes, even like it's okay, I might, I might fail, I might mess up, I might miss it, I might not be perfect, I might have heard God wrong, okay? But what's going to happen is if I never go for it, if I never do anything, if yes. I never step out, if I never take that step of boldness and faith, like to step out of my comfort zone, then I'm just going to stay in this place of comfort and I'm not going to grow and I'm not going to advance to the level that God wants me to. Right. I'm not going to get to experience what he has for me because I'm just going to stay in this place. I think it's so much safer for us to be willing to make mistakes, but like in pursuit of obedience, if, right. if that makes sense the way that I'm saying that, as opposed to just staying where I, where I am for fear you yeah. know, of going forward. So, yeah, I mean, it's in the end, following God is a crazy adventure. Or it can be really boring. <laughs> That's true. But you're not in the That's game. True. And, you know, my son will say, me, me and my son have this conversation a lot. He's 13, right? So he's just like, I just want to have fun and enjoy my life, mom. And I'm like, okay, but, you know, you just, he's, I think I'll still go to heaven. I believe in Jesus. I'm like, yeah, but you're not even in the game. Like, you're missing it wow. all. Like, wow. like, get in the game. Like, there's so much, you know, and let alone what's at stake. This isn't really a game, right? I use that analogy, but people's yeah. lives are at stake. Come on. Right? And that's where I think we we don't have a right not to act. Because our obedience isn't just about figuring out what God wants us to do. Our obedience is always, and that's kind of what the talk was about too. It's always tied to people. Yes. Yes. You know? So... I don't think we have a right to say no. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, God's a gentleman. I'm not. I don't know. I'm telling you, you can't. But he says, you know, he loves you. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I love what you said there. Uh, following God is this crazy adventure, or it can be really boring. <laughs> and it's if it's boring, it's definitely it's not on God. It's definitely not God's fault. It's definitely our fault. Mm -hmm. um, man. 
my kids tell me all the time um, that they're bored. <laughs> Don't like, you love that? <laughs> really? With all of this stuff you have to do, like uh, they tell me I'm bored. Like I'm like, I probably shouldn't say this to my kids, but I'm like, maybe the problem is not that you're bored. Maybe the problem is that you're boring. <laughs> I probably should, probably yeah, that that would honesty. preach on a Sunday. But like, you know what I mean? Like, I I think uh, we we choose that. I mean, I wish I was bored a little, you know, sometimes more often. Like, I wish there were times where, you know, I had a little bit less to do. Um, but I just, uh, yeah, I think that that's such a good, um, there's there's such a good message in what you just said that. Uh, right. If if we're if we're not experiencing the goodness of God, as David said, in the land of the living, right? You know, if, if we're not experiencing His goodness and 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 experiencing this adventure with Jesus, like He is not the problem. Like He's definitely not the problem. The problem is like in here. The problem yeah. is in my thinking, and the problem is like you said earlier with uh, my my belief system. You know, I, I think that our faith responds to what we believe. You right. Know? And, and so, I think sometimes we we realize we're the problem, but then we beat ourselves up. Yeah, don't do Which, that either. That's good. Right. That's yeah. what the enemy gets you to do. Like, see, you don't yeah. really believe. See, you're not really a Christian. Yeah. So it doesn't make you do more, it makes you do even less. Like he he wins again. So you just gotta like shove it all aside. Yeah, shake yeah. that stuff off and be lighter and yeah. recognize. I think it's so funny for for me. I, I can I can really like I can wake up in the morning and just just kind of settle into this mode of life where I just feel lousy, where I don't feel right. good, where I feel, you know, if you want to call it depressed or like whatever, but just don't feel like just kind of like, like feeling mm -hmm. like there's weight on you and you don't even know why it's there. Like it's just there because yeah. of your mindset. And so like I'll, I'll 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 recognize that and I'll be like, hold on, hold on. Like I don't actually have to live like this. And and it's just so like we can just shift our thinking so quickly and just so become true. aware of God, aware of his presence because he's always there. You don't have to like, you know, of course, we talk about seeking after him, seeking after his face. But that doesn't mean that you've got to go find him in terms of he might not be near you. He's always near you. He's right. always close to you. He lives inside of you. So like you're not going to be separated from him in terms of distance. Exactly. So like if you'll just become aware I'm learning how to do this just to become aware of him, aware of his presence, aware of his love. And so just good. sometimes you've just got to remind yourself, you know, we've, we've sometimes just got to take the responsibility to not just be bogged down by the lies of the enemy and by the circumstances of life. Yeah. And just like the bitterness of situations sometimes even. And, and, you know, all these different things. It's so easy to get wrapped up in that stuff and not recognize the fact that, hold on, like. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. And right. that is my actual reality exactly. because it's what Jesus did for me. And so I can, so I can make a choice to be joyful. I can make a choice to be content and to, and to just begin to experience his peace that goes beyond my exactly. understanding, you know? And so I think that that's so, um, it's so important just for life and for being, like you said, like being successful in, in what you do, not defining yourself by like, your bank account and by, you know, right. how many good things you did today. I'm glad we don't use that defining <laughs> line, yeah. the bank oh, account. Yeah, me yeah. Believe me. $19. <laughs> me Come on, baby. Yeah. <laughs> ah, 
<laughs> well, Jessica, really super appreciate you again. Thanks so much for being here. Just before That's we end great. it, um, where could you point somebody that wants to either connect with you further or uh, check out some resources, your blog, that kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. The best place would just be my website, which is just Jessica Hurlbut. It sounds it spells just like it sounds. JessicaHurlbut.com. Yeah. Um, my blog's on watching. there. Yep, my blog's on there. Um, if whatever happens with this possible upcoming book, that will all be on there. And our adoption run, a link to our adoption run, and all of that is um, also on there too. So, and all my social media is on there. So, yeah, I would love to hear from anybody. Um, I love to talk to people. So, as you can tell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah, for sure. I definitely feel like we could keep talking all day long. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll let you go get back to Greg and all that stuff. And leave your Hopefully husband. the house is still standing. <laughs> <laughs> but I really appreciate one more shout out to Greg for just being an awesome, an awesome man of God, yeah. awesome pastor. We didn't even talk about this at all, except for briefly mentioning it at the beginning. But uh, Greg and Jessica, they pastor together at New Testament Church in am I is it Messina or Messina? No, Messina. Messina. Saw the two S's and it seemed like it. Anyway, weird, um, yeah. uh, Messina, New York. And um, yeah, so just um, just awesome. An awesome couple uh, doing awesome things for God. And again, I just really believe you guys are, are real life heroes and appreciate you so much. And uh, please, everybody, um, when it comes out, stay tuned for the updates on this. But um, check out and show your support and your love to the Full Spectrum Parent podcast when it comes out. And uh, let's um, let's make sure that it gets in front of the people that really need it. It's yeah. uh, I really Thank believe you. that it's going to be a, a huge blessing and, and really provide such valuable resource. Um, and, and even just on the level of connection and that knowing that, OK, there's um, there's other people out there that are going through what I'm right. going through, that have gone through what I'm going through. And, um, you know, I'm not alone in this. I think so many people that are going through, you know, difficult things in life. The, one of the biggest problems is they just feel alone. Feel alone, yeah. And so, love what you're doing. Thank you again, awesome. Jessica, for being Thank here. Thank you really so much. Had a you. great time. Yeah, I do just want to mention one thing on a personal level um, before I end it here. So, for anybody listening, I just want to let you know I'm going to be teaching a free. It's 100% free. There's no upsells included. I'm offering a free online course called Introduction to a Life of Miracles. It's going to kick off on September the 7th. It's going to run on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. for six weeks via Zoom. And uh, really, my heart really burns for all believers to experience the presence and power of God in daily life. So I'll be talking about identity, some mindset shifts, practical tools to really make the supernatural become a natural part um, of life. And so you can register on my Facebook page at DK Lamastra. Again, it's completely free. It kicks off in September. And um, hope you guys will check that out if anybody's interested in going a little bit further on some of that stuff. So anyway, thank you guys for being here. Thanks so much for taking the time to watch, listen, however you checked out this podcast. Really appreciate it so, so much. If this episode blessed you, added any value to your life, to your day, if you'd consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, any of those things would help to make sure that uh, these podcasts get in front of more people. And yeah, that's the goal is to serve, as Jessica said. So thank you so much, Jessica. Really appreciate you so much. Awesome. And thank uh, you. hope to talk to you again soon.